All right, as a kid, I used to love when my parents would sit down and play a game with us or do any activity. And right here in our hands, we have the KiwiCo box, which is the activity of all activities for young kids. The colorful chemistry set, to be specific. So with Drew and Jet and Bear, we try to have really intentional playtime. And that's hard because they're all different ages and kind of in different developmental kind of phases of life. I love with KiwiCo that each month we get boxes specific to their ages and kind of like the activity development phase that they're in. So each box, this one's the colorful chemistry set. Um, this has to do with science, but especially with Bear, it can be really hard with a four month old to know like how to interact with him where he needs to be at four months old. And I love in these crates, they actually have cards that say, here are activities or things you can do specific to Bear that will help him identify colors or whatever it is. I love KiwiCo. There's always something new for kids to discover, like learning about the science of ice cream, engineering robots, or doing science experiments, which our kids have loved yes. recently. Sean is currently holding, as she said, the Colorful Chemistry Kit, which has provided hours of entertainment for our kids. They look forward to their new crate every month, and this one kept him really engaged. We got to experiment with mixing oil and water, mixing different colors, and watching how different things react. It was so fun. We basically created our own little chemistry lab with the kids, and we could feel their excitement when they got to play around and mix things together. Plus, it barely made a mess, so it was really quick to clean up and to use again another day. It can be hard to find creative ways to keep your children engaged, challenged, and off their screens, but KiwiCo does the work for you, so you can spend quality time tackling projects together. Redefine learning with play. Explore projects that build confidence and problem-solving skills with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month of any crate at KiwiCo.com when you use code COUPLE. That's 50% off your first month at KiwiCo.com. Promo code COUPLE. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Couple Things. With Sean and Andrew. A podcast all about couples. And the things they go through. Okay, so today might not be specifically about couples, but hopefully by now, we have returned home from the hospital. We have little man on our lap. We have Drew by our side, and we are sitting watching the Olympics. That's right. So we're going to tie it into the couple things mantra by saying that, you know what, training for elite sports does <laughs> put a strain not only on the individual, but also on relationships around it. So we're going to talk about what Sean's training schedule was like, what her Olympic experience was like, and we're going to be asking questions that you all submitted via Instagram and comments to uh, address some lesser known things about the Olympics. <laughs> yes. You guys had a lot of burning questions and because Andrew and I were actually supposed to be at the Olympics this year. Oh, it's a sore subject. It is, but we got little man instead, which yeah. is such a blessing. <laughs> um, we thought it would be a perfect opportunity to answer all of your burning questions and talk about the Olympics for a, for a little bit. Okay. And before we dive into it, if you haven't subscribed to the show or given a rating, first of all, welcome. Uh, glad to have you here. We usually do talk about couples. We did interview different couples, everyone from Phil Donahue and Marlo Thomas to uh, Matthew Hussey, the dating coach. <laughs> but today we are talking Olympics. And uh, yeah, we're glad to have you here. I hate to do this, but if you're new here, if you don't know who we are, the reason why we are talking about the Olympics is because Sean is an Olympic gold medalist. Casual flex. Yeah. Casual flex. I competed in the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing, China as a gymnast where I won four Olympic medals, one gold and three silver. 
Wow, it's a rare day that you talk about that. I know. It feels so, weird. I'm actually excited. A lot of these questions I don't know about. Great. I've never thought to ask. So let's dive into it. Let's huh? do it. First question, Sean, is what was your training schedule like throughout your gymnastics career? So throughout my gymnastics career, my Olympic journey was definitely different and unique because I was a kid. I was 16 years old by the time I made it to the Olympics. And so my training career and my training schedule always had to revolve around elementary school, middle school, high school, and all of those extracurricular activities. So I trained towards the end, like the last probably five years, I trained six days a week for four hours and it was always after school. And it's rare in a lot of cases for elite gymnastics that you actually did go to school, correct? It is rare. So a very, very long story tried to make, tried to be, what? You're trying to shorten. Uh, there you go. Long story made short. There you go. Um, the average elite gymnast trains nine to 10 hours a day in their homeschooled and they'll actually school at the gym. Um, but for me, I was very lucky to have a coach who was a world champion from China, moved here with the American dream to um, open his own gym and raise Olympians uh, that were also children that had a life and had like this fine balance because he wasn't capable or able to do that in China. That's something that Sean and I have tried to maintain through our relationship and family life is a sense of balance. And I'm glad that you were raised that way. Next question is, Sean, so the Olympic trials took place in June. Mm -hmm. That's where they announced and chose the Olympic team. What happens between the Olympic trials that were on primetime TV yes. and the actual Olympics a couple oh my weeks goodness. later? So this has changed a little bit. But for me, what happened was we would go to Olympic trials. We would compete and they would name the team. Along with the team, they would name like 10 alternates. Only four of those would end up actually being alternates. And all of us would then fly to a, a general training facility where we would all be like housed. It was back then the Caroli Ranch. Um, and we would train for two weeks. We would go through more competitions, like mock competitions, just to make sure that the selection committee was confident with their selections. Mm -hmm. At the end of those two weeks, they would say, okay, yeah. Do they ever change it? Yes. Whoa, what? Yes. That's That's crazy. the sketchy part back then. They don't Dang. do that anymore. Um, but they would do these trials and they would name a quote unquote team, but they would change it up. So you would go to this camp, you would train for two more weeks and do mock competitions. At the end of the two weeks, they would name the final team that traveled and we would fly to the Olympics. By the time we land at the Olympics, we still have a good two or three weeks before we compete. And that amount of time is just spent getting used to kind of your environment and the new um, equipment and just kind of your surroundings before you have to compete like in the big time. Settling into Olympic Village, which that Olympic Village might, you know, deserve its own episode. There's a lot of love, <laughs> apparently, that's found a there. A lot of love. Uh, one thing that was interesting that's different this trials than last trials, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. is the uh, CEO of USA Gymnastics did not participate in the team uh, in the selection. team selection. Yes. In previous years, I think he, he headed it. And now Miss Lily uh, was outside of that the closed door. So I think that's probably good to separate those two. But curious to hear any thoughts you have too. I actually loved it. I I don't think the CEO should have a say. 
it's kind of like the owner of an NFL team having a say in, in all of the decisions. If you know me, you know I love cereal. Our whole family does. And growing up, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid. But now that I'm older, I know it's important to watch out for empty carbs and extra sugar. So I took a little break there from eating so much cereal. But now I've tried Magic Spoon. And Magic Spoon has classic flavors and the crunch you love, but it has way less sugar and it's high in protein. We love Magic Spoon in the East household. I always get the variety pack. It has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs with only 140 calories per serving. It's high protein, has zero grams of sugar. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and Soy-free. It's pretty wild to think a cereal can be high in protein and low-carb and still taste delicious, but it does. I love eating a bowl of the fruity flavor after a workout for some extra protein, and Sean here loves the cocoa flavor as a snack before bed. We think everyone should try Magic Spoon and taste the difference themselves. Go to magicspoon.com slash eastfam to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code eastfam at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash eastfam. And use our code eastfam to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. Which, does that actually happen? Yeah, uh, for some teams. Um, but for gymnastics, it's such a subjective sport, and there's so many different angles that go into it. I think for the CEO especially the former CEO and this one, their job is to look at the gymnastics team as business mm. and they're operating a business to the, um, to hopefully the benefit of the, the athletes. And I think if they stay out of that very political um, decision, it gives them the best chance of actually making decisions for the betterment of the athletes. And given the history of gymnastics, it's also probably better yes. to uh, distribute power amongst yeah, other, as many people yeah, as possible yeah, just to keep as much vis visibility on things uh, as possible why do they though keep changing the number <laughs> of girls on the olympic gymnastics team i don't know and i absolutely hate it i think it it is a decision that's made um by the international olympic committee i don't want to be fact-checked on this because i'm pretty sure i'm wrong um but the last i was heard and told the Olympics basically have a, a general capacity of how many athletes they can house. And with sports ever changing and evolving, coming in and out of the Olympics, um, they have to kind of like cut numbers from certain sports in order to distribute it amongst new ones. I wonder if it has something to do with Title Nine. But this year they had four team members, four alternates. Yes. And then two, two individual qualifiers. You're going to quiz me on this? Well, I'm curious, from a high level, what's the difference between making the gymnastics, the USA Gymnastics team, and going to the Olympics as an individual from the U.S.? So from a very high level, I don't know the nuances of this, and I'm still learning. I've been talking to Nastia and NBC and trying to learn these new rules. Um, but from a very high level the four girls who are named to the actual USA team, when they go and compete in that team competition that everybody will watch on NBC, those are the only four girls who will get a medal. 
If they win one. Yes. If they win one, which they will. Um, <laughs> the two individuals who will still be wearing red, white, and blue. I don't know how that nuance works. If they're technically still representing the United States and if their medals count for the United States. But I do know that they will not receive a team medal. My understanding is that if the, if the individual, so gymnastics has the team event, the all around event Mm -hmm. and individual events. Yes. So if the USA individual wins a medal, Mm -hmm. then that would count towards the U S medal count, but it's freaking confusing. Well, and let's go even more confusing for you guys. So there used to be, and I don't know where it stands. I'll give you an update. There used to be this rule, um, where there's always a preliminary competition at the Olympics for gymnastics. It's not televised. It's not something you see, but anybody who qualifies to the, to the Olympics goes to prelims and can compete on every single apparatus. At the end of that day, they rank every single athlete at the Olympics first to last. And the top two placers from each country can compete in the medal round of each apparatus. But hypothetically speaking, we take four girls. Those four girls come in first, second, third, and fourth. Our third and fourth place girls are not allowed to compete for a medal, even if they outplace other countries. Mm. So what I'm curious about is I think the individual spots override that. So if one of our individual girls comes in third or fourth, they'll still have the ability to compete for a medal. And also the interesting thing about the individual spot is Jade, who is one of the USA, she qualified as part of the team without actually being selected. It was Mm -hmm. based off her performance, which is different than the team selection. Which I actually love because it takes a lot of the politics out of it. It takes out the subjectivity and allows her to technically by difficulty and score earn her place yeah very interesting and (laughs) honestly the the gymnastics selection is always changing from olympics to olympics let's talk about coaching because that's another unique thing about gymnastics every gymnast will bring their own coach Mm -hmm. does that mean that all the other coaches, like if I'm qualified and you're qualified, does your coach try to coach me and vice versa? Or like, how does that dynamic work? So actually there's a very, this is, there's a lot of like mutual respect here. Um, every individual athlete has their own individual coach. And then there's one overseeing coordinator who kind of organizes everybody. Uh, so that, that new organizer who used to be Marta Corley is now Tom Forrester. But for us, it was, those lines were really never blurred. Whenever I would go into the gym, my coach, Coach Chow, um, was the only person who really had direct communication with me. Interesting. If Marta ever had any corrections or thoughts or opinions, she would talk to Chow and Chow would talk to me or choose not to or vice versa, whatever. Interesting. Um, But what actually gets interesting is you'll notice if you watch the Olympics, A lot of times you'll see different coaches running in and out of the arena. Everyone knows that finding the perfect t-shirt with like the quality and the fit is near impossible. I told you guys that I found Skims while I was pregnant and now postpartum, I found the best nursing bra known to mankind from Skims. 
Well, they've outdone themselves again because they now have the perfect t-shirt, especially postpartum with a changing body. I can guarantee you, you won't find a t-shirt like it. I love also that Skims has a fit for everyone from the long t-shirts to the cropped. They truly have like sizes and qualities and styles for every single thing you could want. So the cotton jersey t-shirt is the one that I'm talking about. It is an absolute staple. I feel like I'm reaching for it literally every day, especially nursing with bear. It's breathable and soft and it somehow gets even softer and still holds its shape after every wash. If I could only recommend two of the Skims t-shirts, I would say the cotton jersey t-shirt, which I have in mineral, or the boyfriend t-shirt, literally in any color, are probably my two favorite t-shirts that they make. Shop the Skims t-shirt shop at skims.com. Now available in sizes extra, extra small to 4X. After you place your order, select podcast in the drop-down menu, select couple things to let them know we sent you. Have a good one. Um, while their girls are actually competing. So only one coach is allowed on the floor at a time. And they're kind of like given a badge. And so if I'm getting ready to go up on beam, Chow will come running into the arena so he can coach me. Jeez. And then as soon as I'm done, he'll pass his badge off to like Nastia's dad or Alicia's coach. Or It's so interesting because in. well, the coaches, these athletes spend all of their training time. So for you, it's six days a week, four hours a day in Iowa. Mm -hmm. So 24 hours, like Chow was your coach. Yes. And then you would go do these kind of team events or training sessions. Chow would still go with you. Mm -hmm. And then he's there on the floor because he knows all your corks and he knows mm -hmm. all, how to spot you and how to, it's just like a mental thing too, from my understanding. Yeah. So it's um, just, it's like important. It's, it's not like um, baseball where you just switch to yeah. coaches and it doesn't matter that much because they don't have that much of an impact. I will say though, yes. Um, but I will say there is an interesting, one interesting aspect to where when you get to the final medal rounds, so primetime television that you would watch, um, that passing back and forth isn't technically allowed. You can only have one coach designated per event. And what's really cool is by the time you get to that level, that trust that you're talking about, those mm. quirks, those everything all of the coaches will actually come together and spend so much time wow. focusing on every single athlete on the Olympic team mm. to learn those quirks and to learn what they need to be comforted. And so Chow ended up being like the beam coach where he catered to every athlete from the United States that competed on beam. Wow. And he would learn like when to wink at them or when to like give them a nod or when to extend a hand or where to put chalk on the beam but he would learn that for every athlete yeah and you'll see the coaches on bars like step in <laughs> yeah. and kind of almost shadow uh yep. guide the athlete or on floor is the other time i can think mm -hmm. of adding and removing a mat in the yep. corner sometimes on beam they'll like add the uh freaking what's about the, the springboard the springboard yeah so different things like that. But that's that's very interesting. I will say that there is a, a definite mutual respect amongst the athletes and coaches that I don't really think they ever try to overstep or cross boundaries or lines that way. They were all very um, kind of like they were all very supportive of their personal athletes and the other athletes competing. Mm. Why are men's events in gymnastics so much different <laughs> from women's? I have no idea, but they, I think it might have to do with the structural build of a male versus a female. Um, because like, I would never be able to do the rings. 
Um, mm. But a guy would have a very hard time doing the beam. So who knows? I think that's just how it was written back in the day. I'm actually, hold on, let's just, I'm curious about this. So um, this says okay. that the routines try to feature different skills. So mm -hmm. men's floor routines are more about flips. Uh, the gymnastics events for men are due to, to your point to different structural mm -hmm. differences. Men have better upper body strength. Um, and I guess there's some gender norms yeah. splashed on there as well. Where like, see, like probably seeing a dude on a balance beam. <laughs> yeah. First of all, it makes me nervous to even think about. Yeah. But I, I, I think too, it probably went back to ancient times when it was created of there was such this feminine movement of artistry with women's gymnastics and there was such a strength component to men's gymnastics so the events and their stylistic differences were designed based off of that in ancient times and you're seeing that evolve with every olympics now i mean perfect example is simone biles is i mean truly out competing men with her difficulty and her scores. And you're seeing that kind of overlap, which is really cool. All right. You name the women's events and I'll try to name the men's. <laughs> Vault bars, beam floor. Easy. Okay. There's six men's. Yes. You got floor. Yes. Pommel horse. Yes. Uh, rings. Yes. Bars. Did I say that? What type of bars? Parallette bars. Parallel. 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 <laughs> Parallel bars. But they also have bars. No, they have what steel bars, what bars, high bars, and high then they have vault bar. too, yeah, high bar, high bar, just one bar, yeah, a bar, a bar. They freaking whip around on that thing, yeah, too. they do. And vault. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, back to the idea of gender norms in the yeah. sport. Do points <sighs> in the movie Stick It? This yeah. happened. Do points really get deducted if you're bra shows. So within the code of points, which is kind of the rule book of gymnastics, yes, they can technically deduct if they don't like the aesthetic of a gymnast. So that means if they don't like your body style, if they don't like your garment, anything. Interesting. However, I will say that is evolving. Um, there used to be rules back in the day where you couldn't wear colored nail polish. You couldn't have distracting quote-unquote distracting makeup you couldn't let tattoos show you couldn't be individualized um this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. sean and i have been open about our journey with marriage counseling and it's been really helpful for us we all carry around different stressors both big and small and it's important to sort those out so they don't affect your relationship i agree and therapy is such a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down we've been meeting with the therapist individually and as a couple and it's been a great way to sort through any stressors in the week and have better communication about how we're feeling which is hard to do when you're busy with kids BetterHelp is an incredible option if you're thinking of giving therapy a try. It's all online, so it's convenient and flexible with your schedule. It's also nice that you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge, so you make sure it's a good fit for you. We would highly recommend trying it out. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash EastFam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash EastFam. 
Based off your look? Yeah, based off your look. Interesting. But now people, are, our sport is more and more celebrating that and letting that be the part of the artistry. So it's not as much an issue anymore. To Olympic specific questions, when you were there, what were the media obligations like? Uh, media obligations, we really didn't have any media obligation until we were done competing. Um, after you're done competing, you kind of go through the circuit. So you go through the NBC interviews, you talk to Bob Costas, you um, do like the international outlets, everything. And you usually do that within your arena. So whatever sport you're competing in, as soon as you're done competing, you'll go through almost like a corral. It's like a maze of every single outlet that has come to the Olympics. And you'll just do like step-by-step-by-step by step by step interviews until you get through them. Um, I technically don't think you're obligated to do any of them. Um, but I do think for the athletes, it's such a huge moment where they're wanting to share their story and their triumphs and tribulations and just kind of everything they went through to get there. So it's, it's a pretty big honor for an athlete to do. I wonder if there's anyone who's done the Marshawn Lynch on this (laughs) year. So I don't get fined. I wonder if they do have, uh, a fine schedule in place for something like that. The NFL does. (laughs) I I don't think so. For the Olympics, they don't. Yeah. Uh, What does a typical day in the life look like for an athlete? At the Olympics? At the Olympics. Uh, It's very different based off of sport, based off of country. Um, Everything is kind of determined by team. For us, what it looked like, and for us it was a little bit different because we we were minors, living in the Olympic village. So were you mining gold or silver? Or? <laughs> um, that was the worst joke I, that I, was. I might have ever made. <laughs> yes. Because we were <laughs> under age, Andrew. Okay. Thank you. And not mining gold. Uh, we were very restricted from our coaches just for safety um, measures. Yeah. So we pretty much stayed as a team and we would stay in our room during downtime, we would go to practice. We would go to the cafeteria with our chaperones and with our coaches. We would go to the training hall um, where we would get like physical therapy done or go in the hot tub or the ice bath or whatever. And then they do have recreational activities at the Olympic Village. So they have like a barber shop or they have um, a game zone or they have like walking paths. They It's truly like its own little community. We would go do that every once in a while, but again, under the supervision of adults. It's interesting. Yeah, it does vary by sport. We, we talked about this in last year's video about the Olympics and how the pandemic affected it, but the structure of each sport federation and the Olympics yes. can, can, all, can change from sport yes. to sport. So the Olympics work, you have the International Olympic Committee, the IOC, and then each country has their respective Olympic Committee. So for the United States, it's the USOC. USOC kind of like manages, from my understanding, the uh, sport committees. So Mm -hmm. for gymnastics, you have USA Gymnastics, but then USA Gymnastics is under the International Gymnastics Federation, which is Mm -hmm. called the FIG, and every sport has their own variation of that. So depending on the, the strictness or vibe of the coaches or the you know the organizers i'm really proud of you for knowing all that i don't know if i explained that well or not but i gave it my best shot here's the pyramid it's confusing the nfl you got freaking 32 teams and one organizer so here's the pyramid and you you said it perfectly just a little out of order so you have the international olympic committee they're the big wigs they're the top of the top under them you have the federations of every sport 
Okay. So like the top of the top of international sports. Yep. Under them, you have the country's Olympic committees. Okay. So the Chinese Olympic Committee, the Russian Olympic Committee, the U.S. Olympic Committee. And under them, you have the organizations for every country for every sport. USAG. USA Cycling, yeah. USA Track and Field. And each at each level, they can make their own rules. That is very confusing. Yes. All right. <laughs> We're going to skip the Olympic Village question because if people like this episode, we'll do a whole one on that. Cool. Okay. Uh, but we're curious. One listener asked if you get paid for your medals or do you have to pay for your medals? Which is it? Um, both, technically. Interesting. So whether you are, um, which, congratulations, hold up. Whether you are saving your eligibility for the NCAA, which, congratulations, is no longer an issue, um, and not accepting money at the Olympics, it's the one place where you can safely accept money, prize money of any kind, and not mess with your eligibility. Um, but at the Olympics, gold, silver, and bronze medals come with prize money from the International Olympic Committee. So, yes, you get paid for the medals, but then that actually counts as income. So you pay taxes on it. Wow. And you had an Olympic ring that you had to pay for, too, yeah? Yes. There are Olympic rings that are issued by every country. And for us, we had to pay for them. <laughs> Getting to the country of uh, hosting the Olympics. Yes. This year it's in Tokyo, Japan. Who pays for the travel? So a lot of this is... Um, specified and differentiated by federations but for the United States the U.S. Olympic Committee and each individual federation will pay for your travel so USA Gymnastics and USOC paid for us cool yeah what's your favorite Olympic sport to watch babe I would say gymnastics <laughs> track and field swimming diving in that order Wow. And how many Olympics have you attended? Yes. Whoa. You've competed in one. I've competed in 2008, but I've attended 2008, 2010, 2012, 2014, 2016. That's it. Wow. It's pretty good. Five. I think I've been to one. I've been to Atlanta. Let us know how many Olympics you've been to listening. You listening. Um, what is your favorite... We'll wrap it up here okay. with a couple questions. Great. And uh, if people do like this episode of Olympics, we'll, we can do another one. But I feel like there's so many topics that we could cover that we need to like categorize it. Yeah. What is your favorite Olympic memory? My favorite Olympic memory. I have. Let me think. I have two that come to mind. Okay. Um, the first one is. During the all-around competition, I had put so much pressure on myself to win the all-around gold because it was kind of predicted that I was going to or supposed to um, based off of my skill set and my scores. All social media, all media outlets were saying that um, that was my the expectation from me for our country. And I remember going out there being really consumed by people's opinions and being weighed down by it. And by the time I got to the last event of that competition, um, because of scores, there wasn't 
a, f- a possible way for me to win gold by the last event. Um, I knew my sport well enough and I knew the scores well enough that even if I had the most perfect routine, I still couldn't achieve that gold medal. And there was just this um, revelation that I kind of felt and realization that I felt in that moment that I was at the Olympic Games. I was competing on the biggest stage in the entire world. And I was at that moment doing it for someone else, for their expectations on me. And I just kind of felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders because I felt like I had kind of failed already. Those expectations that people put on me, I had no other reason to finish the competition, to finish the competition than for myself. And I remember looking at my coach and seeing my parents in the stands. I was just kind of like, you know what? F it. This is not for anybody else, but for me, I have worked my whole life to be here. And in that one moment, I got to experience just true freedom of expectation and I I got to have fun as an athlete which I hadn't had in a while and it was the most liberating freeing moment and feeling of my life and I felt like that was the first time at the Olympics that I got to truly enjoy it and I performed really well and I had a great time started bawling when I was done my coach was bawling my parents were bawling and I, I just felt proud I could have cared less what medal I got what score I got I just knew I did my best which was awesome the second moment was I distinctly remember being in our apartment in the Olympic Village, our gymnastics apartment, which was just us girls. And we were just talking teenage conversation because we're all 16, 17, 18 years old, talking about boys and our clothes and just really dumb stuff, eating gummy bears, sneaking Snickers, um stuffing our face with candy and ice cream. And I just look back on that. And we were such children enjoying the greatest moment and the greatest stage in the world. And it was really fun. I don't want to downplay. I mean, it is a once in a lifetime, like incredible accomplishment. I've heard you tell that story a million times Yeah, about the medals Mm -hmm. and you not being able to win the all around gold. But it's like, I just had this thought of, it doesn't matter. It's not about the, it's not mm-hmm. about the gold medal. It's not about making it to the Olympics. It's not about whatever the next accomplishment is for you or me or anybody. It's just literally about, I don't know. I don't mean to sound cheesy, but like who you are in that situation with whatever you're given. I don't know. I just, the Olympics are epic. I freaking love watching them. Mm-hmm. And I love how people set world records there all the time. And it's like cool to see how far you could push humanity. But it's just, there's so many, um, I'm just thinking about the way to gold documentary about mm-hmm. the mental health that comes with pushing your, pushing yourself to push records like that. And it's like, dude, it's not, I know. there are more important things than the gold medal than the Olympics and whatever accomplishment. So I, I don't know. I not to downplay it, but yeah, I think we could do an entire conversation on, on that. But I think so many people, myself included up until that moment for me, a lot of people don't, don't, you know, have that realization. Yeah. Um, but train their whole life to be an Olympic gold medalist thinking that it's the end of the road. They, I never once looked past that gold medal or I, I never planned out what the moment after would look like, what mm. I would do with my life. And you see a lot of people break like emotionally, physically, 
You see it in the documentary Weight of Gold because you invest everything into a moment of praise and you never prepare of how to handle it afterwards. And I think when people put too much weight into that gold medal, weight of gold, um, they lose they lose themselves. And when it was kind of taken from me, when I wasn't even capable of achieving it during that competition, I had to very quickly realize that like I, I still had purpose and I still had a, a life ahead of me. I don't know. It seems like you might be fortunate as well that you went through this at such a young and already transformative, transformative age of 16 where like whatever you're, everything's changing at that point. It would be harder to come to that realization of what happens after I win the gold medal that I've been training my whole life for when you're like 40 year old, 40 years old. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? The older you get, the harder it is to, the heavier that weight is. The more of, you've invested. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And it's, it's only magnified on that stage too, because for me, processing what came afterwards when I won the silver medal instead of the gold and the all around having every media outlet, just hundreds back to back to back to say, how does it feel to lose, to fail? What would you have done differently? What do you regret? What would you go back and change? All of these things. It, it solidifies in a lot of people that idea that they are only worth what their medal like symbolizes. And to see a silver medal at the Olympics as failure can mess a lot of people up. And for me, I had a very great community of people around me to remind me that no, that is an honor of a lifetime, but that can weigh on a lot of people. Do you have any regrets from your Olympic experience? I do not. I think you make a lot of mistakes. I think you go through a lot of different things in life, but I I don't believe in regrets because I think they shape who you are as a person. As far as the Olympics, if I were to joke around with one, I wish I would have taken more pictures and saved those memories. I was so focused on the competition that I tried to blur everything out. And it's hard for me to remember. I'm just going to publicly say this. <laughs> I wasn't even referencing that. No, I freaking know, but it keeps me up at night so when I think about <laughs> it. Sean, when we first started dating, this was the first year of our dating relationship. <laughs> Oh, I needed baby. a laptop for school, so she was generous enough to lend me her laptop. Turns out that that was a laptop she had all her Olympic pictures on. The cloud didn't exist back then. <laughs> so I lose the laptop and all of Sean's Olympic pictures and memories along with it. Not all your memories, but the tangible freaking... I can't believe that. I am a knucklehead. You know, I can... I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> Gosh. I don't think anything of it, baby. It's totally fine. I think about it all the time. Anyway. My memories with you and our daughter and our family are so much more important. I'm thankful for you. Thanks for sharing. Those are good questions. Uh, We'll wrap that up there. Let us know if you want to have a part two to the Olympic conversations. This is different than our normal couple things episode, but uh, I don't know. I I think it's interesting for you and I to explore this as a couple because there's a lot of questions that, yeah, we haven't discussed. And then also each and every one of those things that we discussed, like Michaela um, Skinner. Oh, Michaela Skinner is married Mm -hmm. 
and just like think about the impacts of if you were going through the Olympic journey right now, what would that look like? Or Chelsea Mimmel was trying yeah. to like, she is kids and a husband. It's like, how, what does that look when you're trying to make the Olympics? What and like? on a totally different level, only specific to this year, Michaela Skinner is a perfect example. There's an international ban on travel. So her husband can't go. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, it's a bump. Yeah. Well, crazy. Anyway, that's all we have. If you made it this far, please subscribe. Just hit the little subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on and give it a rating. Let us know what you thought. Thanks for uh, tuning in. That's all we have. I'm Andrew. I'm Sean. We're the East Fam. Out. All right, real quick for all of those listening out there. We don't ask for a lot of favors, I don't think, babe, do we? No. But we're going to ask you a favor today, all right? If you're listening to Couple Things Podcasts on Apple Podcasts specifically, will you please do us this short, quick favor? We want to make sure you're staying up to date with our show, and Apple's latest iOS update has paused downloads for many listeners, and some of you have expressed our latest episodes aren't being recommended to you on Apple Podcasts anymore. So here's how to make sure you're getting your episode. And again, this is for Apple Podcasts specifically. Open up that podcast app on your iPhone. Search Couple Things and tap Our Shows icon. And then in the top right corner, you might see a plus follow symbol. If you do, tap it to resume following the show. If you get a prompt to, quote, turn on automatic downloads, say yes. That way... You'll get all of the episodes. Thank you so much, guys. We're so glad this update was brought to our attention because we want to make sure we're reaching as many of you as we can. Love y'all, and we really appreciate you doing this.